Well, hey, Coastway Church, uh, thank you again for joining us online today. Let me just go ahead and invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 11 through 21 today as we continue in our Finally Free series. And something that we learned a few weeks ago that I think would be uh, worth a fresh reminder is what we called the doctrine of moral proximity. And basically what that means is that uh, whoever is closest to you relationally and locationally, we ought to feel a sense of responsibility toward. And this is particularly important in the wake of uh, disaster or damage due to something like a hurricane like what we just experienced. So I just want to encourage our church, I want to encourage you, uh, check on those around you. Check on your neighbors. Uh, and uh, one thing that uh, Benjamin Franklin once said was, one of the best things that you can do in a neighborhood when you move in or when you've been there for a while is to ask for a bag of sugar. And basically what he was saying is, don't just uh, offer help. Maybe if you need help, you reach out as well. That can build a bridge of trust and relationship. Never has there been a more important time for us to extend the help and hope, or even ask for help and hope, in Jesus's name. So uh, let me just encourage you uh, to be uh, aware of, of, of your needs and the needs of those uh, around you. So uh, here's the question that I want to lead off with today, and it's simply this. When you hear the term Christian, what goes through your mind? Uh, do you think about someone who's just loving, joyful, uh, full of, of peace, patient, someone who's kind, someone uh, who's, who's gentle, someone who's faithful, someone who has a lot of self-control? Or does your mind go to another place? Another way to frame this question is, where does the mind of majority culture go whenever they would hear the term Christian? The fact is there's a lot of accusations that are leveled against Christians, and the mind of majority culture probably is going towards something negative, not something positive. Maybe it's something like, man, Christians are judgmental, or, or Christians are unloving. Christians are anti, anti-gay, anti-choice, anti-everything, anti-progress. Uh, all of these labels that get uh, pinned on Christians are very common, but without question, the most common accusation that's brought against us as Christians is that we're hypocrites. And the word hypocrite, that's a strong term. You think about like what that means, what that implies, it's that you know, you're, you're faking it, you're not, you're not real, you're not authentic. Uh, in fact, if you were to survey the largest generation in the United States today, it's millennials. And basically, that's anybody who was born between 1981 and about 1995. Uh, 72 uh, million plus millennials in the U.S. today. If you were to ask the average millennial, what do you think about when you think about a Christian? 85% are going to describe a Christian as hypocritical. Now, that's a big deal. That's something that we ought to take very seriously. Uh, where did the term hypocrite actually come from? Uh, well, the, the origin actually traces all the way back to uh, ancient theater and the ancient arts when an actor uh, would come on stage and instead of makeup would have a mask and uh, would wear a mask to basically hide uh, that actor's true uh, identity. And so uh, the whole idea was you don't really know who that person truly is. And so what is a hypocrite? Well, a hypocrite, just simply defined, it's important to be clear, 
is uh, someone who pretends to be somebody that they are not. And uh, as, as we think about the, the charge that Christians are hypocrites, like, what do we make of this? Uh, how do we relate to this? Well, one way to think about it, uh, there's a few levels that are important. One is this can actually, this can actually be a cover-up from, from those who are cynics against the faith, uh, saying that uh, all Christians are hypocrites, and because they're all hypocrites, I don't need to change. I can still be in charge. And it's just an easy way to categorically dismiss Christianity as a valid viewpoint and belief system. But more often than not, the reason why we're labeled as hypocrites is because we are. <laughs> and uh, if, if you think about what, is it, what does it really mean to be a hypocrite, well, it means that there's going to be inconsistencies in my life. And this is not just uh, about the, the moral failure that's very visible or the falling star celebrity pastor. The fact of the matter is all of us have some level of hypocrisy uh, in our lives. And it, I, I think that nuance in this conversation about hypocrisy is so needed at this modern moment. Um, how did Jesus relate to hypocrisy? Well, uh, that's going to be the concrete and rebar of how we relate to it in Galatians chapter 2. So let me just show you really quick uh, two uh, levels of hypocrisy that Jesus confronted. The first level was this, those who acted like they believed but really didn't. So this would be Judas. This would be the Pharisees. And when you confront this level of hypocrisy, the person is probably going to refuse or resist repentance. Why? Because they think they're perfect. They think that they are superior. And how does God relate to this level of hypocrisy? Well, he, he rejects it altogether. And that's because it's ultimately rooted in unbelief. And as we read in Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But what this does is this actually explains a lot of the church hurt that is rampant in our world and in our country, in our city, all the mixed signals that get sent. Basically, think about it this way, that a big cross-section of hypocrites are actually not Christians. They're in church, but they're not in Christ. This might, might be what we would call religiously lost. And, and you're hearing this and you're thinking, man, that's, that's pretty strong. Where do you get that assumption? Well, uh, it's, it's actually straight from the mouth of Jesus. Let me show this to you. Matthew 15, 7 and 8. You don't need to turn there. It should appear on the screen. This is what Jesus said. You hypocrites to the Pharisees. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So this level of hypocrisy that's actually rooted in unbelief of people who act like they believe but really don't, it is the most damaging and it is the most dangerous. There's a well-known quote by an author named Brennan Manning, and he said this, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So there are those who act like they believe, but really don't believe. But then there's another level of hypocrisy that Jesus will relate with. And it's this, it's those who truly believe, but sometimes act like we don't. An example of this would be King David committing adultery, uh, murdering his own friend. Uh, a, a, an example that we're going to see today is the life of Peter. 
this is a different level of hypocrisy. Not saying it's not hypocrisy, but it's different. It's still two-faced, but it's actually rooted in a true faith that no less struggles with sins like deceit. You and I struggle with that. Fear, you and I struggle with that. Pride, we all struggle with that. What's the difference with this level of hypocrisy? Well, this per- well the difference is with this person, when, when you're confronted, there's a sincere desire for repentance and progress. God works with and he walks with this person. And I think I speak for all of us. Man, no one wants to be a hypocrite. But on some level, we all are. So today is not about beating anybody up. It's about building all of us up. So what do we do with this? Where's the hope? Well, here's the hope that we're going to see in Galatians chapter 2 today. The gospel frees us from being two-faced to living a true faith. So with all of this context in mind, we're ready to go for it. Verse 11, take a look. But when Cephas, that's uh, Peter's Greek name, came to Antioch. So last week we were in Jerusalem. Uh, this week, we're 300 miles north in Antioch, which was a very important city in the New Testament where church planters and missionary journeys were, were trained up and sent out. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Okay, so this is Paul opposing Peter. Now, the contrast here when we see but, when, at the beginning of this verse is reaching back into what we learned last week in chapter 2. that you got Paul, who's the author of Galatians, who is preaching the gospel for about 14 years faithfully over time, laying a faith foundation. And his message is uh, very simple. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God did for us. And uh, they're coming off of this really big meeting that took place uh, where the apostles, Peter included, were gathered at this, uh, uh, at this meeting, and they affirmed the legitimacy of Paul's message and ministry to non-Jews, to the Gentiles. And this meeting had massive implications. We actually read about it in, the, in uh, Acts chapter 15, what likely was the setting and what took place there. Uh, but the implications was it, it meant that you don't have to convert to a skin tone. You don't have to convert to a, a cultural custom in order to be Christian. Uh, you essentially just have to admit that you're sinful and that all people are equal and that all people are forgivable, and including us. And so this was the affirmation of that meeting of what took place uh, in the previous verses. But Peter was one of the leaders who affirmed this. And now what we see is that he's being confronted for not living it. He's being called up and called out for his hypocrisy. And just, you could cut the tension with a knife in this passage. Just imagine, you got Paul, he's an apostle. You've got Peter, he's an apostle. I mean, think about it. this would be like Tony Evans going after Tim Keller in some controversy. This is like the stuff that like you go on pay-per-view and you pay to watch. It's like, this is a fight, man. Take a look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, that's the, bro- the half-brother of Jesus back in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles. Okay, so before these Jewish guys come up to kind of check out what's going on in Antioch with all these Gentiles and Peter, here's what, what Peter's doing, is he's actually breaking bread with Gentiles. 
And, and so uh, to eat with someone in that culture meant that you accepted them. It meant that you approved of them. And you know, not much has changed for us today. I'll give you an example of this personally. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, uh, I transferred to another school. And in transferring, I really didn't know anybody at this new school that I was getting ready to go to. I, I knew a few people, but uh, you could really, you could quickly tell like who the groups were, who the somebodies were whenever you would go to the cafeteria for lunch. And so I started out not knowing anybody, just going to sit with anybody who would let me sit with them. But I quickly found out kind of who the somebodies were, and I found myself wanting to make my way over to the somebody table. Do you see how not much has changed from Peter's time to ours? You know, kids learn this at an early age, uh, whenever it's just time to eat in the cafeteria. And Peter was learning this spiritually uh, many years ago. But if you think about it, uh, the, the people that, that you eat with, they are the people who you're going to just say, man, I'm good with you. And so to eat, for a Jew to eat with a Gentile was taboo uh, because Jews were, it was hammered into the, the minds of Jews for, for, for centuries, for millennia, that uh, Gentiles are dirty. Gentiles are unclean. And so basically this goes all the way back to keeping the law. The law of Moses said, if, if you're not meticulous with your dress, with your diet, and don't touch things that are dead, then you can be clean and you can be accepted and you can come into the presence uh, of God. I mean, just imagine two years ago, or even now today, that you're sitting across the table from someone and you know they have COVID. Like, how are you going to respond to that? Well, you're probably going to get up and you're going to go somewhere else until that person's better. But imagine an entire people group. Imagine just entire... Um, uh, geographical spaces where Jews thought everyone was like that inevitably. Yeah, this was the how deep the divisions were. And, you know, by this point, Peter knows better. He, he knows better. He knows that, that Gentiles are not unclean because of their culture. If you go and you read Acts chapter 10, you see this miraculous conversion where God leads Peter to uh, a Gentile Roman uh, uh, a centurion, and he saves him, and his whole family gets baptized. And he's like, Peter, why are you going to call something unclean that I've made clean. Uh, and, and then in Acts 15, at the, the, the meeting that took place that we read about in Galatians 2, 1 through 10, uh, Peter stands up and he says, it's by grace that we're saved. It's not by your culture. So, but there was something deeper going on in Peter that I think is going on in all of us. It wasn't just about being clean. It was also about being cool. You see, old habits die hard. And so Peter still squirmed at the idea that because it might make him uncool that he was seen eating with these Gentiles, that uh, he, he, he was squirming. He was, he was withdrawing, as we read, uh, even though he knew, man, Gentiles are just as equal, just as uh, sinful, just as forgivable as I am. But then he goes into, what will my Jewish friends think? I'm going to lose some followers over this. I'm going to go from a five-star rating to a one-star rating. I might get canceled. They're going to spread rumors. They're going to come after my reputation. Uh, there's a lot at stake, which explains the hypocrisy. Keep reading the rest of verse 12. But when they came, the Jews, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So this was a, a religious outlook that basically said that uh, Jesus plus Jewishness plus a cultural custom, circumcision, the law of Moses equals salvation. So verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, 
so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And here's what I want to point out in this verse is that your hypocrisy, my hypocrisy, all of our hypocrisy will have a negative effect on the people around us, especially if you have a position of influence. Let's say you're a parent. Your kids are going to to be uh, negatively affected by that double life, by that mask wearing. Or, or maybe maybe you're a supervisor or a boss at work, or, or, or maybe you're like the captain of a sports team, or like you, you, you're in some uh, place where you, uh, you're, you're a position of influence. And that's going to lead people astray, just like it did um, with Peter and Barnabas and these other Jews. Verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel... So that phrase in step is a skeletal term. It's where we get the word ortho from. And so if you think about a, like a proper skeleton being in step, that means that all the bones are going to be in place. Uh, you go to an orthodontist to get your teeth straightened out whenever they're crooked or, or not, not the, the way that they're supposed to be. And similarly, what, what uh, Paul is saying right here is that just like a broken bone, our lives are broken away from the gospel. And that's what's going on with Peter right here is he's not living in alignment with the way that uh, the gospel is supposed to download for someone who understands grace. And so when I saw that his conduct was on a step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he's like, hey, Peter, what is going on? Like, God did not accept you based on your race and your culture, right? You understand this. You just affirmed this back in Jerusalem. Why is it that you're going to live like that's how he's going to accept other people? It's like, Peter, I-, I hate to break it to you, but you've forgotten the gospel. You've-, you've lost sight of the bigger picture. You're enslaved to what other people think. Let's get back to true freedom. And so, Today, what, what I just want to offer to you are two big thoughts on how we can you know, go from two-faced to true faith. And the first big thought is this. It comes out of verses 11 through 14. It's this. Let's just clear the air right here. We all struggle with being two-faced. We all struggle with being two-faced. You see, think about this. Peter was a genuine Christian. Peter was a pillar of the church. Peter was an apostle. Peter was appointed by Jesus himself, and he truly believed, but sometimes he acted like he didn't. You'll notice how even Barnabas, one of the other, just one of these big figureheads of the faith in the first century, he was even led astray. Have you ever been there? Has that ever been you? This this is intended to encourage us because all of us, on some level, we are dealing with uh, some type of two-faced area of our life. But what this tells us is that no matter how much you've done for Jesus, uh, no matter how spiritually mature uh, you may think that you are, we all still struggle with closing the gap on hypocrisy. And here's a way to think about it. There really is a gap between uh, my life and Jesus's life, your life and Jesus's life. And on one level, you're never, ever going to close that gap. Jesus is perfect. Uh, we are broken. Jesus is sinless. We are sinful. But the, uh, the goal is not to become perfect. The goal is for you to make progress. And the whole idea would be over time, that gap between Jesus's life and my life is starting to narrow. 
I'm gaining more power um, over temptation. I'm, I'm gaining more of God. I'm welcoming more of God's presence into my life so that he stands with me through trials, through tests, and through troubles so that I, I don't disbelieve his word and so that I be, begin to look more and more like him. And, you know, here's, here's the honest truth is we all check the functional belief uh, boxes in a different order. You know, some people, they'll be touched and transformed by the gospel and just come out and just be a servant. Uh, serve with their time, serve with their talent. Some people that come out and just, they are really unapologetic about sharing the gospel with non-Christians and inviting a response. Other people will just be super generous. Uh, other people will get really uh, focused around prayer or, or Bible uh, intake. But the idea is what happens is when you become a Christian, you give the rest of your life to learning how to look and how to live more like Jesus. But here's, here's the truth, though. We're not that different than Peter. Old habits die hard, don't they? It's not easy to change. And, you know, if you think about it, if there's been addiction in your past, that's not just something that you immediately turn around. It takes, it takes people. It takes a process. It takes prayer. <laughs> it takes God's presence. It takes time, right? Or, or let's say that just anger. That's something that we all, you know, we all on some level deal with. Or, or anxiety, just worried about, like, what is going to happen down the road? I, I just don't have certainty. Those are, those are real struggles that don't just go away because you uh, place your faith in Jesus. Or, man, think about, think about something just as powerful as lust. You, know, you think about the grip that that can have on a life. Uh, think about, uh, man, man, just patterns of laziness. That, that does not just go away. It all takes time. So here's, um, let, let's just interact with this a little bit more. Why do we live this way? You ever thought about that? Like, why, why is there hypocrisy in my life? Why do I struggle so much to close uh, the gap? And there's actually, it's, it's just a really simple answer. It's just a biblical principle that makes its way throughout Scripture, and it's this. It's that we are great sinners with great need for great grace. You see, what, is it, what does it mean to live a gospel-centered life? You ever thought about this? You hear that term gospel-centered, it's like a buzzword. It's like showing up on the, all these books and all these podcasts, like gospel-centered this, gospel-centered that. What does that really mean? Well, what that means is that you live your life as a sinner who's been saved by amazing grace. And when you start living your life, there's, there's a lot of freedom that comes from that. But that's why. It's because we're, we're, we're broken, we're flawed, we're sinful. Where does it lead? Let me show you two places. Two places that if you just give yourself to a life of hypocrisy, you're going to find yourself here, the, like the natural undertow of uh, the flesh, of sinfulness, of our nature is going to take us to these places. You got to fight it. You got to fight for your life to get out of these things, but you do it with the new power of the Spirit in you. So here's, here's where it leads, two places. Uh, lay this on your life, by the way. Ask yourself, is this me? You know, which of these like, really describes where I'm at? The first is this. Uh, when you're giving yourself to a two-faced lifestyle, it's going to lead to pretending you're someone that you're not. So think about Peter. Uh, he does this. <laughs> he's, he's, he's one guy when he's with a certain group, and he's another guy when he's with another group. Let me just ask you this. Are you one person when you're at church and another person when you, when you go home? 
Are you one person when you're with your community group uh, or with your Christian friends, and then you're just a totally different person whenever you're with your golf buddies or you're, you're with another group that maybe doesn't believe all, all of this Christian stuff? Uh, one really uh, humbling example of this is uh, it comes from the movie The Dark Knight. Uh, in my opinion, one of, if not the best Batman movie that's ever been made. But if, if you think about the Australian actor Heath Ledger, he played the Joker, probably the most iconic depiction of the Joker uh, in all the Batman movies. But he comes, so here's what's interesting um, and sad. Uh, is that uh, Heath Ledger comes out and he his method of acting of getting into character for the Joker was that he would isolate himself from anybody else, like lock himself in a room and just fully immerse himself in the character and get his mind around how does this character think. And uh, what happens is, uh, before the movie was even released, um, news came out that that Heath Ledger um, had died by an overdose. It was, it was tragic. It was sad. And, and there was a lot of suspicions. You don't know for sure that, that what he was doing, what, what that, the effect that had on his mind of pretending that he was someone that he was not just, just drove him crazy. And he, it was more than, than what he could handle. But here's the bigger point is it's more than any of us can handle. Like that is slavery. Trying to pretend that you're somebody that you're not, it, 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 it just leads to a, a, a prison. And it's no way to live. But the next place it leads to is pleasing man more than God. Notice how Peter was fearing in verse 12, the circumcision party. So Peter cared way too much about what these Jewish bullies thought. So he feared the Jews more than he feared Jesus. And that word fear, it's not so much about physical hurt. It's more about like weight. Who do I give the most weight to? And so in this, in this moment, Peter was functionally giving more weight to his peers than he was to Jesus. And I want to ask you this, whose approval gets the most weight in your life? Like really, who, who are you really out to please? What, what would six, uh, you know, success look like for you relationally? Who is it that, that kind of holds the keys that unlock, man, this is what, this is what I want? Um. Let's say that your boss asks you to do something that's just unethical. Do you do it? Or, or let's say that your peers ask you to do something unbiblical, assuming that you've placed your authority or your, your life under the authority of Christ. Do you do it? Or let's, uh, let's take it a step further. Let's say your kids are coercing you to let them do something that's unreasonable. And, you know, one of our guiding lights in the woods home is that we try not to negotiate with toddlers or with terrorists. And if you're a parent of a teenager, there's maybe a little bit of both right there. Uh, you kind of download that however <laughs> you will. Uh, I love you. I love you. But the, the whole idea right here is who are you out to please? You know, if you give yourselves to uh, a two-faced living long enough, that's where it leads. Pretending, people pleasing. So what is it that we need? Well, how do we get victory over this? Well, we need to be moved and we need to be motivated by the gospel again. And this is why it's so important to have people in life who love Jesus, who love the Bible, who love you, but are not scared of you, are not so impressed by you that they can't clearly and calmly and confidently look you in the eye and say, this isn't it. In verse 11 and 14, we see this. Paul opposed Peter to his face. And then verse 14, when I saw that their conduct was not in step 
with the truth of the gospel. So the reason why Paul was confronting Peter was not because he was being rude, not because he was being unwelcoming, uh, not because of all these other like you know perceptions or even preferences. It was because his life was completely out of alignment with the gospel. And you know what? Most of us, we have little to no category for what's called biblical accountability. What, and what, do, uh, what do most of us want? I mean, you see this everywhere in Myrtle Beach, uh, in Conway, is, in our own community, is we want community without accountability. That's, that's really what we want. Oh, let me tell you why that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because community without accountability is a sure recipe for hypocrisy. The way that we would say it around Coastway is we want to have an open Bible, but we also want to have an open life. The open Bible gives us the authority from God. The open life gives us the authenticity uh, to admit when we're wrong or maybe lovingly call up another person when we know, hey, this is, this is not it. But what's our natural response when we're told that we're wrong? Well, two, two things, <laughs> if you're anything like me. Well, number one, we get defensive. And we'll say things like, well, only God can judge me. Or uh, I'm not really hurting anybody. Or, you know, this, this really isn't wrong. So we get defensive, but we also, we get distant. And so what we'll do is somebody disagrees with us, somebody kind of contradicts us, and so we'll ghost the issue. We'll change the subject. We'll ghost the friendship, and we'll move on. Or this happens all the time, seen this more times than, than I care to recall, is we'll ghost the church. I'm not, I'm not going to go around anybody who's going to tell me what to do. And the, the simple truth is, loved ones, is, We can't know ourselves by ourselves. We all have blind spots. We all have hypocrisy. And we need people like Paul in our lives who are going to call us up and call us out for the right reasons. How do you do it? How do you do it? That's a a great question. How do you confront someone who's caught up in hypocrisy? Um, What is the Christian way to oppose someone? Well, there's three directions that you need to look. Number one, if you're going to do this or someone's going to do this for you, you need to look inside. Uh, Jesus said in in Matthew 7, 5, he says, you hypocrite, first remove the log that's in your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's eye. And and, and so the whole idea is like a blind person can't help a a blind person. A drowning person can't help a drowning person. Uh, You got to see clearly. You got to be safe yourself in a position to help. And so what does Paul do? Well, we know what Paul did. If you go back to Galatians 1.10, he says, Am I I now seeking the approval of man or of Christ? If I was seeking the approval of man, I wouldn't even be a Christian. (laughs) And so he's looked inside. He's he's cast aside his reputation for the sake of the gospel. And so, and he's going to go on later on in Galatians 6, uh, where he's going to write, hey, brothers, if anyone's caught up in a spiritual transgression, you who are spiritually or spiritual, restore them gently. What does that mean to be spiritual? Well, it means to be spirit-filled. It means that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, it's emanating out of my life. It's overflowing out of my life. And so if that's you, then, then you go and you restore your brother who's caught up in this transgression. And, and so Paul does this. He looks inside. He makes sure that he's not going to be hypocritically calling out Peter. And then he goes to Peter. And here's what, the next thing you got to do. You got to look them in the eye. You got, this is not something where you hide behind some passive aggressive text uh, or, or some email or uh, maybe some other kind of mannerism or way of getting the point across, like you want to go to that person. You want to call them up. You want to sit down with them and say, hey, listen, I'm for you, 
but what you're doing is not going it's, it's, it's to help. It's, it's, it's actually hurting. Um, and then the last, uh, the last thing that you want to do is you want to look at the gospel, and this is the most important thing, is you want to ask, is this a gospel issue that I'm about to confront? Um, is this a major doctrinal error? Like, is, are they messing with the Trinity? Are they messing with the, the authority of Scripture? Are they messing with uh, eternity? Or is, is there divisive, apparently divisive conduct? Uh, is, is there, or, or is there adultery? Is there abuse? Is there abandonment? You, know, you got to make sure that what you're, what you're going to talk about um, is actually something that, that Jesus talks about and is not just something that kind of gets on your nerves because there's a difference between a sin issue and a style issue. And you want to make sure this is actually a sin issue. Like uh, all those things, like overt racism, division, all those things, it, those are things that got to be confronted. And what, if we want to be understood when we do this, we have to relate from a place of grace. If you really want to be heard, uh, if, if, if you really want to hear, uh, then it's going to have to come from a place of grace. How does Jesus motivate us? Uh, well, it's his kindness, it's his grace that leads us to repentance. And so if you go in swinging with guilt, try to motivate with the law, it's like, man, stop, man, stop having casual sex or stop watching the, these, these trashy shows or, or, or stop using that language or, or stop doing all these things. Like whatever it is that, that, you, that you're going to the mat over, if, you, if that's all you're doing, you're not really helping uh, because what you're doing is you're trying to motivate with law. You're not getting to the heart. You're just getting with like the behavior. But, but Jesus goes further. He, he doesn't motivate with guilt. He motivates with grace. And so what you do is you come in close and you just say, hey, have you considered the grace that God has showered upon you in Jesus? And what would it look like to live from a place of grace in this area of your life? So that's verses 11 through 14. And what is Paul doing this whole time? He's, he's motivating with grace. He's, he's, he's going to Peter and he's saying, hey, Peter, man, Remember the gospel. Remember why God accepted you and let that inform the way that you relate to all people. And that was Paul's favorite way to motivate. And it's why he follows this conflict with Peter with one of the richest descriptions of the gospel in the Bible. And you gotta, you gotta think, man, this was the stuff he shared with Peter. This was the stuff he was sharing with the Galatians. And this is the stuff that he, the, the Lord wants to speak to us today. Take a look at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. In other words, if anyone can justify themselves by keeping the law, it was us. We haven't done it yet, so I guess it's not possible. Verse 16, yet we know that a person, even a law-keeping Jew on their best day, is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So basically, these are some difficult verses to understand if you don't kind of get a little bit of just to the basement of what is Paul saying. He's saying that just because we still sin after we place our faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that Jesus is okay with it. Just because there's still hypocrisy in our life after we place our, our trust in Jesus, that doesn't mean that God wants it to stay that way. He actually died to destroy it, and that's what Paul's getting at in verses 17 and 18. But then verse 19, take a look. For through the law, 
I died to the law so that I might live to God. To be dead to the law means to be free of the pressure to keep it in order to be accepted by God. And this doesn't mean that we overtly break God's law. It just means that we no longer look to the law as a basis of our salvation. Verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So here's the hope of verses 15 through 21. Though we all struggle with being two-faced, we can all still live from a place of true faith. Well, let me just kind of be a myth buster for a moment. Uh, there's, there's one big myth that's embedded in the charge that all Christians are hypocrites, and it's simply this. It's that just because you're a Christian, you think you're better than other people. Just because you're a Christian, that means that you don't see your sin at all. But if you get around like an authentic, growing, spirit-filled Christian, they will be the first to tell you, I'm the most sinful person I know. Uh, I, I am, I'm as far from perfect as anybody that I know. <laughs> I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Uh, we're equal, we're sinful, we're, we're forgivable. And Paul, what does he do? He pushes back on this idea of, of what does it look like just because there's some hypocrisy in your life, just because there's a, a little bit of two-faced in your life, that doesn't mean you can't live from a place of true faith. And here's how he does it. He, he says a few things in these verses. And this is just kind of a summary of what he says. He says, he makes it clear that true faith is being justified by Jesus's work, not our own. Verse 16, he says, a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 21, if keeping the law could make me righteous, then Jesus didn't need to die, but he still did. He went to the cross. That means that's the, the only way whereby we can be saved. And so all throughout these verses, 15 through 21, he uses this really important word, and it's justification. So what is justification? Well, justification, simply put, is legal pardon from sin's penalty. It's legal pardon from sin's penalty. So just imagine you're on death row, uh, and uh, you have committed an unspeakable crime, uh, and uh, you're, you're on death row, you're in the courtroom, you're in the courtroom of heaven. And what, is, what does a just judge do? Will convict a guilty criminal. So God's a, God's a good judge. He's a just judge. He's a fair judge. And so we're all guilty. We've all fallen short. We've all rejected God. We've all rebelled. And so the just judge is about to drop the gavel uh, and sentence you uh, to the due punishment for your crime. But just then, there is a, a selfless, sinless substitute named Jesus who steps in and says, I will take her place. I will take your place. So I will take the place of you just, you just fill your name in right there. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay a debt that I don't owe so that they can receive a pardon that they don't deserve. And, you know, there, there's no more moving thought. There's no more moving thought than someone giving their life to save another. And I'll tell you one of my favorite examples of this. It, um, it comes in... Uh, Charles Dickens' novel, A Tale of Two Cities. So basically, the plot is you have uh, Charles uh, 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 Darnay, 
and Sidney Carton. And uh, these, two, or these are two men who they both love the same woman. And, uh, but, but the woman, her name is Lucy, uh, she, she chooses Charles, and she chooses to marry Charles. And so what ends up happening is all this was taking place uh, in, in Paris, France, uh, during the French Revolution, a, a wartime conflict. But Charles, the man that Lucy wanted to marry, uh, was thrown in prison and was sentenced to death by beheading at the guillotine. And so what Sidney does is Sidney goes in to Charles's prison quarters. He drugs him, <laughs> carries him out, goes behind the prison cell, and takes his place. And there was a seamstress that was in that same prison that looked at Sidney when she realized what he was doing in the level of sacrifice that he was making for Charles, and she was just moved with amazement. As she was going to her death, she said, will you take me by the hand? And will you give me strength in my dark hour? Because something about this just gives me hope. And here's the, here's the thing, loved ones. When you realize that Jesus did this very thing for you and for me, it changes everything. When, when you look upon the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and by faith you say, that somehow counted for me, it, it changes the way that you think about your failure. Uh, it's, and by faith, you're justified. So how does this free us from, from two-faced uh, hypocrisy? How does, how does uh, uh, believing that true faith is being justified by Jesus' work and not our own, how does it set us free from hypocrisy? Well, it's very simple. It frees us from the pressures of proving ourselves to others. So the way that uh, the, the reformers, uh, Martin Luther, those who sparked the Protestant Reformation, which essentially it was like this cage fight for Orthodox Christian belief for the truth, um, there was this phrase, and it was simul justus et peccator. Simul justus et peccator. Simul, that means simultaneously. Et, that's the past tense for eat. So it's like, have you et breakfast yet? Totally kidding. That's not what that means. It actually just means and. Uh, et, uh, simul et justus uh, peccator. Peccator means sinful. It's like, honestly, guys, I'm from Marshall, North Carolina, so I'm kind of proud of myself that I remembered that much. Uh, but here's basically what that means. Simul justus et peccator, simultaneously justified and sinful. That's freedom. Because now, if you know that I'm simultaneously accepted in God's sight, but I'm also still sinful, that means I'm never going to be perfect, but it also means I don't have to pretend because my perfection is not the basis of my acceptance. It's Jesus's work credited to, be, to me by faith. So, but the next thing that, that Paul does in these verses, it's very important, is he shows us that true faith is about progress, not perfection. So verse 19, I died to the law so I might live for God. What does that mean? That means I stopped trying to be perfect. I, I stopped trying to please man. I, I stopped trying to, to look to my law-keeping ability to save me. But then it also means I started pursuing progress. I went from trying to please man, trying to please God. Um, I went from the law to love. And what is the best way to do that for us? Well, verse 20 tells us, it gives us the answer. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In other words, Paul so closely identified with Christ that his life became Paul's life. So you, th you think about practically what does this mean? 
Jesus' past is my past. That means I'm blameless. Jesus' death was my death. That means my debt has been paid in full. I'm forgiven. Jesus' future is my future. That means I'm crowned with acceptance. How does this recognition, how does this gospel truth free us from two-faced living, from hypocrisy to true faith? Well, it's simple. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to pretend that I'm perfect because Jesus was perfect in my place. And it's from that place of security that I can pursue honest progress. I can be real about my struggles. I'm simultaneously justified yet sinful. I don't have to be perfect. So you can be honest with your, your, your friends. You can be honest with your family about the areas and the inconsistencies in your life. And this was something that has really been opening my eyes is you can be honest with your kids. You can say, hey, listen, I'm a work in progress. I've not arrived. Uh, I was putting uh, our, our daughter Eleanor to, to bed recently, and God really just gave me an opportunity to practice, to practice this message this week. And as we were talking, she just said, hey, Daddy, do you ever do bad things? And I'm like, girl, you know the answer to that. You've, <laughs> you've seen me fresh in the flesh before. Come on, what are you talking about? But she's like, no, Daddy, do you do bad things? And I was like, well, yeah, I do. And then she's like, like what? I was like, man, how honest do I want to get right here? <laughs> this is unmasking some of my, my own hypocrisy. And she said, and I said, well, remember like how I said that hurtful thing to mommy this week. She's like, oh yeah, you shouldn't have said that. I was like, I shouldn't have said that. Remember how I had to apologize for that? Yeah, that was bad. Don't do that again. Uh, and then I was like, but I also said, I said, hey, sometimes I worry before I worship and I worry uh, before I go to the word. And she was like, oh, you mean like whenever you started working before you read your Bible this morning? And I was like, Yes, but you know what? Here's what she said to me. She said, but you know what, Daddy? Jesus still loves you. Man, and that's, that's where I wanted to leave us with today is there, there might be some inconsistencies in your life. There might be faults, flaws, and failures, but what you need to know and what's going to move you forward toward honest progress is knowing that despite those things, Jesus still loves you, and the fullest and the freest version of yourself is on the other side of fully believing that that's how we change and that's how we make progress. That's how we go from two-faced to true faith. Let me pray for you. Father, all of us on some level, we're, we're wearing a mask <laughs> and we're pretending we're trying to please the wrong people uh, before you. And I, I just pray that you would give us a humble awareness of where those areas are how it's affecting the people who look to us, who lean on us, who, who love us. And Lord, would you enable us by, by the grace of the gospel, by the goodness of Jesus Christ, to make progress and to move forward in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.